If you're uh, here and you're willing and able, uh, would you please stand as I read our scripture passage on which our sermon is based today? Uh, You can follow along on the screen as I read from Mark 5. This is what it says. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. Uh, No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus uh, from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice. He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man and the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to say hi to everyone here on campus. Those joining us online. Wonderful to have you uh, with us today. Uh, Before we get to our sermon, I I want to highlight... Uh, especially next Sunday, January 10th. Um, It's a really important Sunday for us as we kick off 2021. And we will have some important things to share about life here at Orangewood and all that we're hoping God will do in this next year together. So uh, I encourage you, I I, I really plead with you and want you to be here uh, with us. Uh, Join us for worship next Sunday. Uh, as Mark has already told us, 9 and 1045. Um, and I just ask that you join us. If you're new with us today, I'm really glad you're here. Uh, we began in August going through next May, uh, looking at these encounters people had with Jesus in the Bible. These, these various uh, interactions they had with Jesus that radically changed uh, their lives. Uh, And today we actually start a new sermon series uh, that I'm really excited about called Unseen New Chapter. As we turn into a new year, many of us may be looking for a fresh start. Uh, We may be looking for a breakthrough in some area of our lives. 
And we all feel that for many, many different reasons. Uh, and so we're going to be looking at some of these encounters with Jesus of people who were also in that place, uh, looking for a new chapter, looking for a fresh start, looking for a breakthrough in their lives. Uh, and today we're looking at the life of the tormented man from the gospel of Mark. What we know about Mark's gospel is that Mark gets to the point. He does not waste his words. Uh, he wrote the shortest of all the gospels. He will be the last person to belabor his point, unlike many preachers. Uh, but what we find here is he devotes 20 verses to this story, 20 verses. So we know that there's a lot in here that Mark wants us to understand. If we want to see God move in our lives, if we want to see a fresh start, a breakthrough, a new chapter happen, we will need to heed this encounter that Jesus had with this man and the implications for us. Three things we must learn if we want to see God's breakthrough in our own lives. Uh, the, the power that deceives us, the power that overtakes us, and finally, the power that frees us. Let's look first at the power that deceives us. And what we learn from this passage very clearly is there is a spiritual world that is happening all around us, and we may not have noticed it. There's this evil power that deceives us, and in our modern world, we can become very susceptible to its deception. Three ways it deceives us from this passage. The first one is we begin to think that we can fix our issues on our own. We can say to ourselves, I can fix this. I can quit drinking anytime I want. I, I, I can quit looking at things I know I'm not supposed to. I can fix this. I can handle it. I can stop this issue anytime. You see, we're deceived into thinking that this power of evil is rather small. We, we belittle it. We believe we can take care of it, that we can fix it. Any great sports team upset always starts with underestimating the opposition. In fact, recently I heard of a, of a football team that was playing another team and they were supposed to demolish this team, but they ended up losing. It was an upset. And I appreciated after the game, the honesty of one of the players who said basically the words were, we took them for granted. I can fix this. We, we don't think evil is really there or we think that we can fix it on our own. This was the old uh, Star Trek way of thinking about life. Maybe, maybe I wasn't alive for this. Maybe you were uh, the old Star Trek. I'm talking middle of last century Star Trek. James T. Kirk, William Shatner, Star Trek. Oh, wow. Someone loved that. Uh, there was this idea in that Star Trek that the more scientific advancements we got, we would experience this world of utopia. Uh, that there was this, this premise to the old Star Trek that we, we would one day do away with evil, with, with, with more uh, scientific advancements. Uh, we would fix all this. It's not a big deal. We see the same thing happening in our passage in verse 3. Uh, the, the people in this community tried to bind this tormented man, uh, but he was too strong. There was a power to evil uh, that deceives us into making us think that we can handle it. We can take care of it. I can fix this. That we can bind it, but we realize that it's stronger than we realize. Maybe, maybe that's you this morning. 
Second, the power of evil deceives us into thinking that we are too far gone. What we have done can never be fixed. What we have broken can never be restored. I mentioned earlier, Mark does not spend 20 verses talking about something unless every one of those words matters. What we see from a Jewish perspective in this passage is truly how unclean this tormented man is. He's living in what's called the Decapolis. This was the 10 cities on the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, It had been conquered in 63 BC and had heavily influenced Greek culture and primarily Gentiles live there. So horribly unclean land. Uh, Notice also about the society, how unclean it was, but notice there are pigs roaming this land. Lots and lots and lots of pigs, at least 2,000. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know how horribly unclean pigs were and were never to be touched or eaten. And what we find here, the purpose for all these pigs is even more disturbing because Jews didn't eat the pigs. So the question is, why are there so many pigs here? And what they believe was there were so many pigs there because these pigs were used for feeding the Romans that were ruling and governing and living in the land of Israel. So it's doubly awful. So the land's unclean. And last notice, this tormented man. Our passage tells us he's living among the tombs. What we learn from the Old Testament and from, from rabbinic literature is that as Uh, Anyone who had gone to a burial, anything related to a funeral or a burial, people were considered unclean after that experience. So everything about this man's life, Mark is telling us he is unclean in every possible sense. His culture, his land, his life. And the power of evil deceives us into believing that we, like this man, are too far gone. Fresh start in 2021. Are you kidding me, Tyler? Evil deceives us into thinking God cannot work in your life. The resume is too bleak. There's there's no sense of needing to start over. (laughs) It's a mute point. Nothing's going to happen. Maybe that's you this morning. Finally, the power of evil deceives us into thinking it is only me. It's only me. It seems like that in our passage. Everyone else is moving around just fine in their life. And then we find this tormented man. You may be here this morning thinking that you, you feel like you are the only one in your life who somehow seems they can't figure it out. You somehow, you're the only one who can't get a handle on your, your life and what's going on. Why can't, why can't I get it together? Everybody else is. Uh, There's this uh, great article someone wrote one time. The article was, stop Instagramming your perfect life. The reality is not that you are alone. The reality is there is no perfect life. What I have found through the years of ministry is that every one of us, every one of us in this room, every one of us online is dealing with something. We are carrying something. Every one of us has something that we are trying to deal with. And evil deceives us into thinking that we are the only one. 
That we're the only one who can't seem to put it together. We're the only one struggling to figure out how to make sense of life. That we are the only one with some sort of issue in our marriage or issue in our parenting. Uh, That we're the only one having an issue at our school. Every one of us walking around thinking that it is only me. Evil has this power to isolate us and this power to condemn us into thinking that we are all alone. We are the only ones crying out night and day at the tombs. Maybe that's you this morning. But like any trap that is set to capture an animal, if we're not aware of evil's deception, the power of evil can overtake us. And that's the second thing we must see if we want to see a fresh start or a breakthrough in our life. And what we find in our passage is that this evil, this power that is given eventually overtakes us. I mean, look at our passage. This man is overtaken by this demon. Uh, He has incredible strength. Uh, No one can bind him. Uh, No one can hold him. But listen to his agony in this passage. He's crying out night and day, cutting himself with stones. Uh, The the stronger he got, the more he hated himself. Uh, The irony is that the stronger he got, the weaker he actually became. This is what happens when evil overtakes us. The The thing that we are looking to for strength, the thing that we are looking to for meaning and purpose in our lives could be actually destroying us. What do I mean? The person who is seeking power in their life becomes controlled by power. Uh, The person uh, seeking approval and acceptance of others becomes controlled by pleasing people in their life. Uh, the, the person seeking um, admiration and acclaim and success becomes controlled by getting accolades and building their resume. What we find is there are many places, many ravines that we can fall off into during our search. John Bunyan wrote the classic, The Pilgrim's Progress. You may have read that. And it's a story, if you haven't, of a man named Christian. He's the main protagonist in the story. And he has a companion on his journey named Hopeful. And they journey through the delectable mountains. And during their journey, they meet these shepherds who are there to guide them through these mountains. And the shepherds lead them, Christian and Hopeful, past hill error. And the shepherds teach them about those who had gone before them on this journey, those whose demise uh, were the ones who, quote, climbed too high and came too near the brink of the mountain and fell. It's the story of the aggressive person, the one always seeking to take on more, always seeking to achieve more, always seeking to conquer more, and they fell to their death. Next, then the shepherds showed them another mountain, This was called Mount and Caution. Uh, These people lost their way, not by flying too high, like those at Hill Era, but these are the ones who were always trying to keep it safe. Uh, They were the ones who were looking for comfort and ease. Uh, They found this meadow, this beautiful meadow that it says led them off to the place of despair. 
These, these were the ones who weren't trying to seize the day. These were the ones just hoping to plot along, just to keep moving forward, nice and slow. They just wanted to keep everything safe. They just wanted to keep everyone else happy, keep the peace with everyone, not ruffle anyone's feathers, not cause any conflict. But it led to despair. You see, the thing that we've always wanted is the thing that can overtake us. It consumes us. It exposes us. Now, I know you're going to laugh and you're going to think this is incredibly silly. But, you know, I'm here and I really want to preach a good sermon for you today. I I really want to preach a good sermon for you every Sunday. And, you know, that doesn't happen, but I want to. But while I'm preaching a sermon, there's something happening in me deep down in there that I'm wondering all the time. Is it going okay? Uh, do they like this sermon? Do they, do they, do they like me? Why, why is that guy sleeping? Again. I, I, I know it's incredibly silly and incredibly sad. But, but the thing that becomes our strength is the thing that can destroy us. Josh Radner was the lead actor in one of my favorite TV shows, How I Met Your Mother. And he shares the story of when he got the leading role. He was cast for the leading role. His experience of when he quote unquote arrived and he ran into a friend after he was cast for the lead role. And this is what he says. When How I Met Your Mother first went on the air, I ran into an old friend who said to me, are you just like so happy all the time? Now, I I don't, I projected someone in there, but, and I began to think, did she think that when CBS picked up the show that I would have no other feeling than unbridled joy? But the joke was on me because I kind of thought it would. A lot of people think that being famous will save you, that it will grant you the life that you feel you are owed. And I was pretty bummed to realize that rather than lessening or limiting my insecurities, It basically poured fertilizer on them. Do you see that Radner is the tormented man? The thing that gave me strength, the thing that put me above everyone else, that put me to the top, that made me the elite, is the thing that made me weaker. Don't you hear his voice? The joke was on me. It became fertilizer for my soul. When we are working more and more than we should, we can feel the torment. When we keep judging ourselves for the number on the scale, we will feel the agony night and day among the tombs. When we give and give and give to others, expecting them to return the favor or at least give a thank you and it never comes, It feels like we are cutting ourselves with the stones. Friends, don't you see we are the tormented man in our passage. We feel his pain. What what we thought was going to bring strength only showed us how incredibly weak we really are. And just as we'd hoped that we could fix this issue on our own, (laughs) we thought that we, yes, we, we thought we could solve this problem in our own strength. That's why we find this man wailing. 
It says in this passage that he was wailing night and day. He's cutting himself. And this isn't some small cut. Katakapto uh, uh, means to lacerate. He, it's a deep cut. He's, he's trying anything, anything he can to regain some sense of control in his life. Whatever it takes, but he can't. This is what some psychologists call first order change. Uh, It's our attempt to try to fix things in our own strength. Um, That's what this man is trying to do. How how do I fix this evil that has overtaken me, that has consumed me, that has exposed me? How How do I regain control? How do I put order back to my life? So I can stop living among the tombs. This is, this is called first order change when it's the same old, same old. Author and pastor Steve Cuss. Yes, that is his last name. He actually has a website called Steve Cusswords. He says this about first order change. One internal red flag to first order change you can watch for is, quote, more of the same. If you're attempting to solve a problem with more of the same, you can be assured that you are making the problem worse. This is the story of Eustace from the Voyage of the Dawn Treader in Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, Eustace, uh, he's been tempted by the treasures that he has found in a cave, and he puts on the cursed golden bracelet And after doing that, it turns him into a dragon. And as much as he tries to peel off this dragon over and over and over again, he just can't. It's just more of the same. The same old, same old. Listen to Eustace describe his experience. This is what he said. So I started scratching myself and my scales began coming off all over the place. And then I scratched a little deeper and instead of just scales coming off here and there, my whole skin started peeling off beautifully like it does after an illness. In a minute or two, I just stepped out of it. I could see it lying there beside me looking rather nasty. It was a most lovely feeling. So I started to go down into the well for my bath, but just as I was going down to put my feet in the water, I looked down and I saw that they were all hard and roughed and wrinkled and scaly just as they had been before. Oh, that's all right, said I. It only means I had another smaller suit on, on underneath the first one. And I'll have to get that out too. So I scratched and tore again. And this underskin peeled off beautifully. And out I stepped and left it lying beside the other one. And went down to the well for my bath. Well, exactly the same thing happened again. And I thought to myself, oh dear, oh dear. However many skins have I got to take off. For I was longing to bathe my leg. So I scratched away for the third time and got off a third skin, just like the two others, and stepped out of it. But as soon as I looked at myself in the water, I knew it had been no good. Don't you see, Eustace is our tormented man. He's trying to get out by his own strength, by his own power, but it is the same old, same old. The power deceives us. The power overtakes us. But how do we get out of the same old, same old? We we need a power that frees us from more of the same. And the first thing that we have to see for a power that frees us is that we will have to count the cost. 
Author Ted Hughes wrote, nothing is free, everything has to be paid for. We will have to count the cost. You see, the gospel, the radical grace for you that comes in the person of Jesus will, (laughs) hear me, will bring great upheaval to your life. That's what we see in this passage. Jesus sends these many demons uh, from this man out into the local pigs and these pigs go crazy. They go scaling over the ravine into the Sea of Galilee. Now, this move completely sent the local economy into upheaval. And, And what we see is the reaction of the people to Jesus. They basically say, listen, please leave. We want you gone. Get out of our city. I found many people through the years who I've engaged with, not followers of Jesus, have questions about Christianity. Uh, They'll say something to me along these lines. They'll say, you know, if Jesus showed up right here, right now, today, in visible form, I would believe. And the reality is, friends, that's just simply not true. Not from the Bible and not from our modern world. Uh, you know, one, one author I love who is an atheist philosopher, uh, I, what I love about him is he is consistent and he is honest. Um, Thomas Nagel is a philosophy professor at NYU, New York University, and he shared in his book these words, the last word. This is what he says. I speak from experience being strongly subject to this fear of religion myself. I want atheism to be true, and I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. The first step to finding a power that sets us free is that we will have to count the cost We can't say like the people in this city in the first century, uh, Jesus, you need to leave. You're causing too much upheaval in my life. Uh, We we can't say like Thomas Nagel, I I just don't want God to exist because I know the implications of what that'll mean for me. There will be great upheaval. It's what psychologists call second order change. So the first step is that we have to count the cost. That's the first step to what frees us, that there will be some pain. The second step to finding the power that frees us is that we will have to run. Our passage tells us we will have to run to him. This is what it says in verse six. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran. He ran and fell down before him. Friends, when we can finally ready to say goodbye to the same old, same old, when we are finally willing to allow some upheaval into our lives that Jesus would bring, because we know it is infinitely better than wailing night and day by the tombs. Freedom comes when we entrust ourselves to the only one who can set us free. You see, freedom comes when we are desperate. That's what we see when we realize we have nowhere else to turn, that we we have run out of all human resources, all human capital to make sense, to get a new chapter, to get a fresh start. 
I remember when I was 22 and I was moving from Wilmington, North Carolina on the coast to Los Angeles, California on the other coast. And I, I interstate 40, if you've heard of interstate 40, it begins in Wilmington. And as you're leaving Wilmington, driving out of the city, there is a little sign there, Barstow, California, 2,554 miles. I took this trip with two of my best friends, and this was before iPhones, uh, before any sort of navigational systems to guide you. We just knew you get on I-4 and you just take I-4 as far as you possibly can. As we were making this drive, um, we were in areas that we had never traveled, uh, areas that we had never seen before. Uh, We found ourselves driving uh, through the beautiful Arizona desert, that beautiful highway through the Arizona desert. And there's nothing in sight. It's beautiful. It's lovely. It's picturesque. We're driving through that Arizona desert, nothing in sight, and the gas light comes on. And I began to pray. I began to pray like I have never prayed before. And I was feeling very desperate in that moment. I I swear we were running on fumes at this point. It's August in Arizona, which means if we run out of gas, it's basically 400 degrees outside. I cannot tell you the sheer joy as we came up over a hill and off in the distance, there is a little town there. You see, my desperation did something to me. Desperation does something to us. I mean, look in our passage. It causes you to do things you wouldn't normally do. This man, this tormented man, he just takes off running for Jesus. He, he's, he, he has nothing left in him to play it cool. He's beyond that. He's, he, he just takes off running. If you want the power that frees you from evil, you will have to run to him. Not back to the tombs and hiding, but run to the only one who can set us free. You remember our stubborn friend Eustace earlier, the one who's been turned into a dragon. The the story is he's just peeling and prying and pulling as best he can to get this dragon skin off of him. But it is the same old, same old. It is just simply more of the same. But Eustace encounters the lion, the great lion, the one who can set free anyone who is willing to run to him. He is the one when you are desperate enough, when you've given up all human resources, He's the one that can set you free. This is what it says. Then Aslan the lion said, you will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat on my back to let him do it. 
The very first tear he made was so deep. I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt, hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me feel able to bear it was the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Well, he peeled that beastly stuff right off. Just as I thought I had done myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much for I was very tender underneath. Now I had no skin on and he threw me into the water. It hurt so much, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found all the pain had gone. And then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. Are you looking for a fresh start? Are you looking for a life that is a little different from the same old, same old? Are you ready for a new chapter? Well, friends, I would invite you this morning to run to Jesus. Run to the only one who has the power to set us free. The only question this morning that is left is will you let him? Let's pray. Our Father, we confess, we confess, we have tried in our own strength to fix what is broken. We've tried to take care of things ourselves and our own resources. But we confess, we have found, once again, it is the same old, same old. But by your Spirit, Help us run to Jesus this morning, the only one with the power to set us free. We pray this in his name. And everyone said, amen.